right, good evening, church. I love evenings in, I'm going to call this winter. It felt like winter this week. It's October. Uh, when it starts to get dark outside, I, I, I love the, the, just the candles, the way, the vibe of the evening service. Welcome back to our series uh, entitled Make a Difference. Make a difference. That's what we want for you. We want you to make a difference. And you're going to do that by learning to follow God well. We're in a study looking at three people in three consecutive generations found in the book of 1 Samuel. And these people's lives are instructive on how to live a life that follows God well in such a way that you in your generation, I'm going to throw myself in here, that we in our generation can make a difference. So we're going to look at Hannah first, then we're going to look at Samuel, and then we're going to look at King Saul. Um, but the first person that we've been looking at is Hannah. And actually, um, we, we are in week four in, in looking at Hannah. Now, originally, I only planned four messages for Hannah in the book of First Samuel, but week after week, there was this thing that I just kept pushing on my heart and pushing on my mind, and, and, I, and I, I kept seeing, I was like, no, just, we don't have time, we don't have time for this, but, but um, last week, I just, I just couldn't push uh, this off anymore, and I decided we need to add another Hannah message. So this is kind of an, an, a surprise Hannah message, because I really want to talk about some things here connected to love, Connected to relationships uh, We're going to talk in the context of marriage Because that's, that's the story that we're looking at But this stuff can be applied to best friendships To, to parent and, and child things We're talking about love and, and relationships today and, and in our story though as we look at Hannah Maybe we're actually looking more at her husband Elkanah Elkanah, how he treats her, specifically in Hannah's horrible time of life. She, is, she has just been miserable. She had this terrible time in life. But, but he has loved her in a life-transforming way that made a difference in Hannah's life, that made a difference in other people's lives. And it's love like that we can also have in our generation for, for people. Anyways, so he loves her in a way that she can become the person that she needs to become to have the impact that God's called her to have. Marriage is, is powerful. Uh, relationships are powerful. Best friendships are p powerful. But in marriage specifically, you have, in, in the strongest way possible, the, the, the potential to, to, over a course of a lifetime, maximize that person's impact. For, for Jesus And or you have the potential to completely stifle That, that impact uh, we, we want here at Rehope We want healthy marriages, healthy relationships Ones that, that are they're positive And make, uh, make positive impacts in people's lives Positive differences for God in our generation And again, I want to also continue to, to paint the picture Of what we're talking about today We're not talking about marriage in general we're talking about a very focused part of relationships, and that is loving someone who is in pain. We're talking about loving someone who is not at their best. Uh, in their marriage, Hannah's not at their best, but this can be applied again in, in any sort of thing. Uh, loving someone when their life is falling apart and there are no fun to be around. Like a best friend or, or whatever When they're not at their best now, And I'm just saying this um, Again in the context of marriage But I don't want to scare anybody away from, from, from marriage Or by painting a blank picture We're just in a dark moment In their particular marriage point um, Hannah's not doing well And so we're talking about loving someone in hard times When, when they're in, in difficult times Now I'm sh pretty sure That every marriage has some hard times That can last years even 
as in Hannah's case here, but there's also definitely good times in relationships as well. There's definitely good times, and Hannah's is going to become that. Now, we're going we're gonna to talk, we're talking about making a difference. We're talking about learning to follow God well, and there's a, a decent chance that marriage is going to be a part of your story. There's a decent chance uh, that that's going to be the case. It's going to be part of your joy, and it's going to be part of your challenge. Your challenge. You're, you're, you definitely don't have to be married to make a difference. In fact, some of the people who have made the most difference in this world have never been married. So there, there's a, I just want to abolish that myth right now. Some of the people who have made the biggest difference uh, in this world have not been married. For instance, I don't know, Jesus. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people like, people like uh, you know, Daniel and Paul and things like that in the Bible. Uh, but anyways, there are lots of people throughout the ages. In fact, the history of the globalization, or the global evangel, evangel uh, 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 telling people about Jesus throughout the world has been dominated and driven by, by uh, people who haven't been married and who have boldly carried the gospel throughout the world. Anyways, so um, anyway, as we talk about this, this is not a you need to be married to make a difference. I don't believe that at all. But because some of you will, we're going we're gonna to talk about this in a, as a marriage context, and you can apply it in best friendship and in, in any relationships that you're in. Um, okay, so a story. So there is this guy I know. I know him pretty well. There's this guy who, who asked this girl to marry him. They were walking down this long dirt road, and it was, it was the magic moment. Sunset is happening. The sky is ablaze. Um, if, if, you're, if you're not engaged yet, you should be taking notes. And so they're, they're walking along, and, and he gets, they're in the middle of nowhere, and he gets down on one knee, and he asks this life-impacting question. He says to her, Will you marry me? Will you marry me? She looked back at him with just face beaming with emotion. And she said, no. And she turned and ran as fast as he had ever seen her run before or since. Ran down the dirt road towards the safety, towards her family. Towards, towards anyway, just to, to get away. And, and, and so he, she ran as fast as Now, if this young man was less shocked and more wise at that moment, he would have realized that marriage relationship isn't, a marriage relationship isn't always going to be smooth and easy. Uh, it's not gonna, it's, it's, it, sometimes it's going to be shocking, and sometimes it's going to be full of hurt and, and, and full of pain. But the, co- the question for a committed relationship is, how, deter- how am I determined, or how am I committed to respond to this person, even when I'm surprised by them, even when I'm hurt by them, even when I'm feeling absolutely rejected by them? How am I going to respond? So, that's feelings that this guy is facing as he's, as he's asked this girl to marry him and she's, she's running away as fast as she can with that anger and the tears in her eyes and, and he was feeling the surprise. He was feeling the hurt. He was feeling definitely rejected. And at that moment, he made a choice about how he's going to respond to her in this moment. He could have, he had a few choices, I guess. He could have just stayed there and that would have made sense like, Okay, and she's running away. I'm, I'm just going to stay here. Uh, that, that makes sense. He could have yelled something in return, uh, and something snarky or something offensive or mean or something like that, because it lashing out in his hurt. By the way, people, that's the wrong answer. Don't do that. Um, but, but he 
instead made a dis different decision. The kind of choice that you're going to want to make, that you need to make when you're, when you're married. And what he did is he, he got up in his pain, and he ran after her as fast as he could until he caught up with her, and she sat down in the dirt, weeping and in anguish, and he sat with her in her pain and in her distraughtedness, and listened and paid attention and helped her process what's going on, instead of caving to his own personal rejection. The Bible says this about love. It says love is patient. It says love is kind. It says things like it keeps no record of wrongs. It's not selfish. It says a lot of things about love, especially in 1 Corinthians 13. The Bible talks a lot about marriage and, and relationships all the way through, but if you're in a place in a friendship, a best friendship, a, 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 a relationship, or, or a marriage relationship even, and you're kind of stuck and you don't know what to do, I, I would point you back to applying some of those very first things in 1 Corinthians 13. Maybe start applying patience, kindness, not being selfish, not keeping records of wrong. I don't know your exact situation, but if you're stuck, there's a Bible tip for you. Anyway, so let's look at Hannah. Let's look at Elkanah. Um, I'm in 1 Samuel chapter 1. We've glimpsed um, a lot of things um, over this course of the story, over the last three weeks as we've looked at this story, but I know not everybody's been here for the whole time, so I'm going to read, I'm going to read a lot of chapter one here, and, and we can just watch how their relationship unfolds, and maybe you'll be able to pick up what I was picking up when I, when I was doing the study over the last couple weeks. Chapter one, 1 Samuel. There was a man from Ramathim Zophim in the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, son of Jerom, son of Elihu, son of Tofu, Tohu, to, Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives, the first named Hannah and the second named Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah was childless. This man would go up from his town every year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were the Lord's priests. They're really evil, and you'll find out about them later. Whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to each of her sons and daughters. But he gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved her even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Her rival would taunt her severely just to provoke her because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Whenever she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way every year. Hannah wept and would not eat. Hannah, why are you crying? Her husband Elkanah asked. Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? <coughs> Hannah got up after they ate and, and drank at Shiloh. Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's tabernacle. Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of hosts, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me and give your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all of the days of his life and his hair will never be cut. While she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli, who was the priest, watched her lips. Hannah was praying silently and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and scolded her. How long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my Lord, Hannah replied. 
I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. Eli responded, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant the petition you've requested of me. May your servant find favor with you, she replied. Then Hannah went on her way. She ate and no longer looked despondent. The next morning, Elkanah and Hannah got up early to bow and worship before the Lord. Afterward, they returned home to Ramah. Then Elkanah was intimate with his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. After some time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because she said, I requested him from the Lord. When Elkanah and all his household went up to make the annual sacrifice and his vow offering to the Lord, Hannah did not go and explain to her husband, after the child is weaned, I'll take him to appear in the Lord's presence and to stay there permanently. Her husband Elkanah replied, do what you think is best and stay here until you've weaned him. May the Lord confirm your word. So Hannah stayed there and nursed her son until she weaned him. When she had weaned him, she took him with her to Shiloh, as well as a three-year-old bull, a half bushel of flour, and a jar of wine. Though the boy was still young, she took him to the Lord's house at Shiloh. Okay, we'll we'll end end there. Now, that that pretty much captures what we know about their relationship. Um, All the insights between Elkanah and Hannah there's a, a few other pieces in chapter 2, but it's, it doesn't give us any new information. And also in First Chronicles, um, we get some genealogy stuff. But that genealogy stuff is remarkably not helpful when it comes to looking at their marriage. So, um, so that's there. Uh, did you see this when we read that? Did you see how Elkanah made a difference? That's what we're talking about, how to make a difference. Did you see how Elkanah made a difference? Do you, do you see how he's going to play this nation? He's going to have at least a part of having a nation impacting difference for God. All he's going to do is try and love his wife Hannah well with patience and grace through her years of pain and anguish. That is how he's going to make a difference in his generation. That, that's the one thing. By loving his wife Hannah well through her years of pain and anguish with grace. Now I guarantee you, every single one of you would love it if someone loved you with extraordinary patience, extraordinary grace, and even through the most horrible moments of your life when you're not at your best and when you're when you're just yeah, well, when you're at your worst, it's, that's what we want. And that's and that's what Elkanah is is giving to, to his wife. And that's why his life makes a difference. Because he rises above his own situation to love well. Okay, let's take some notes uh, on, on love that makes a difference. Love that makes a difference. In, in verse 2, it starts by saying that Elkanah had two wives. First named Hannah, the second named Peninnah. Uh, here's number one. Committed to love even when rightfully blamed. Now, I don't, I don't really think blamed is the perfect word there, but being committed to love someone, even when rightfully maybe some at, at fault, rightfully at fault. Guilt can cause us to retreat from loving people well. Well, if we have guilt for something we've done in a relationship, in a friendship, it can keep us from loving 
as well as we, we could or should. Hannah's in a very bad place. And so much of that is because Elkanah is married to another woman as well, to Peninnah. Now, I, I, I suppose this is an extra bonus marriage tip. Don't marry two people at the same time. That's, that, don't marry two people at the same time. It's illegal in this country and a recipe for unhappiness in your home. So I, I hope that's all we need to say about that. I don't want to waste my time talking about that. However, um, Elkanah is a, pretty go- is a godly man, and we can see that he's a godly man in this story, and yet he has two, two wives. So what's the deal? What's, what's going on here? Well, cult- cultural insight moment. According to the ancient rabbis, as they talk about this story, and I want to just preface this, the ancient rabbis say crazy dumb stuff about this. Uh, like, it's not even close to true or accurate. The, the, the quantity of, of things that you could read about this story from ancient rabbis, just because I'm saying the ancient rabbis say this, does not mean it's anywhere, anywhere near, near the land of true. But in sifting through all the rubbish, and it is, and you're thinking, boy, that's really judgmental. No, I've read it. It's rubbish. Sifting, and, and, and it can't all be true. This person says something, and this person, I don't, I'm sorry, I'm trying to justify myself right now. Um, but yeah, they're all, they don't work together. Anyways, where was I? So um, sifting all the way through, there's something that it becomes shockingly clear at the heart of, of their understanding of this passage, which is worth noting. The first commandment, the first command in all the Bible given to people is this. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. The very first command ever given to people. And so the ancient rabbis said, we need to make sure that we take this seriously. It's the very first command God gave us to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth. And so they devised, as they do, um, certain laws and procedures saying, if you're married to somebody and 10 years go by and you're unable to have kids, in order to keep the first command God ever gave people, well, you need to get another wife uh, so that you can carry that first command. And then uh, instead of monogamy being a, a higher value, the first command uh, be fruitful, multiply became the higher value. And I, and I suppose if you've spent any time trying to look at how Jewish laws and kind of come together and how they make different criteria, I guess you can probably see it. Yeah, okay, it makes sense. It was a first command. I can see how they would think this way, even though it's, it's not good. Um, th- th- that's how they got there. And so at least what we know in Samuel's day, the godly people knew that they needed to keep that first command and so if they were married for 10 years and they didn't have kids, then, then they were to marry a second one. So that, at least that's the cultural context going on there 3,100 years ago. Um, was Hannah the first wife? Yes, absolutely. It said, it said that in verse 2. Hannah was the first wife. Um, is, did he wait 10 years before he married Peninnah? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. But what we do know is that whatever the reason, because Elkanah had married two wives, whatever, whatever the reason, there was much increased pain and anguish in Hannah's heart, and that cannot not, that's a double negative, cannot not impact their relationship between Elkanah and Hannah. No one likes feeling rejected. 
No one likes feeling, knowing that the pain in their home or their relationship or their marriage or whatever, they, nobody likes knowing that the pain is their own fault, that they messed up and that they brought the pain into that person's life. You screw up, you bring, you bring pain into your relationship, you're going to feel guilty, hopefully. And, and yet, the great thing about Elkanah is that even though he can shoulder a lot of the blame for Hannah's multi-year era of darkness and pain, is he, he doesn't let his own guilt keep him from loving her still with patience and kindness. That's pretty mature. That's pretty admirable. If the day ever comes when you're married and your spouse is angry, hurt, and upset at you for something you've done, I know it's hard to imagine, but let's just pretend don't let their rightful feelings of anger and 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 the consequences in guilt keep you from being patient with them keep you from showing kindness to them don't let defensiveness make worse the situation and you know here's another one that comes up all the time the accusation you're only treating me this good because you feel guilty yeah I'm trying to love you well, even though I feel guilty. Yeah, I'm choosing not to just feel guilty and leave you. I'm, try, I'm, I'm choosing not to uh, be mean to you. I'm, I'm, I'm not ignoring you. I'm just, yeah, I'm being kind to you. I, sure, I feel guilty. Okay, deal with it. Ooh, I'm being kind to you. You know, like, ooh. Okay. Anyways, uh, there's that. Uh, not letting guilt ruin love. Uh, there's another one here that we see with Elkanah in verse 3, where it talks about how he would take his family to worship God every year. This is huge. This is huge. Uh, in, any, in any amazing relationship. Love that makes a difference, number two, is committed to love by continuing to worship God together. That's a difference making love because um, all those years for Hannah, she's in pain. And that pain impacts Elkanah for sure. You can't be married to someone who's wildly distraught, as, as Hannah is, and not have it impact you very personally. And in times of pain and disappointment, where people are full of disappointment, and even towards God for what God's not allowing to happen to them, God, you're not allowing me to have a baby in this case. You're not allowing this to happen, and so I, I'm upset at you. I've got resentment potentially at you. It's tempting to like, okay, well then let's just take a break from God. I just need some breathing space. But best friends keep their friends from walking away from God in their hard moments. They keep bringing them back, bringing them back. Elkanah can't do anything to fix this situation. He can't do anything to, to make her happy in this distraught moment. This, her inability to have children was way outside of anything that he could do anything about, but all he could do is keep her connected to the God who could do something. But nothing happened last year, but nothing happened three years ago, but nothing happened five years ago. It doesn't matter. Just keep bringing them back to the only one who can do something, never giving up. It's humbling. It's humbling to face situations that you can't fix in, in people's lives that you love. It's hard, it's, hard to, it's hard to lead people to keep staying with God when they, it seems like they have such great reasons to give up on God. But the pain, but the disappointment, but the pain, the disappointment. Best friends keep people connected to God. That's number two. The next one is seen all over, all over the story because Hannah and Elkanah, they're not able to have kids together, and so there is this chance that they've been married for maybe even 20 years at this point. 
love that man. And how did I come up with that? Well, 10 years plus all the kids that Penina has had while well, she's been married. I know that she got married second, just kind of doing some simple biology there. Uh, love that makes a difference is three, committed to love through every disappointment and lost dream. That's the kind of love that makes a difference. Love through every disappointment and lost dream. So in their case, they can't have children. For others, what would happen if you married somebody? Uh, some of you would be shocked. But let's just say, let's just say that happens. Let's say you marry someone, and three years in, they get uh, in a car accident and are paralyzed for life. They can't move their hands or their feet, quadriplegic. How would you respond to that? Um, maybe an early onset of, of some like life-altering medical diagnosis that's, that's permanent and, and unchanging, uh, something like that. Life-impacting, family-impacting, marriage-impacting things happen. And I, I've watched different ones of Kelly's grandparents um, deal with Alzheimer's, where, where one of them would, would, would just slowly, uh, painfully, over a course of a long period of time, just... Just lose their mind. A love that makes a difference is one that loves someone at the cost of their hopes and dreams even. At the cost of, of yielding what they could have had because they choose to love that person that they're committed to more. You're never going to be able to move again, but I love you forever. That's, that's real love. That's powerful love. That's a love that makes a difference. That's a love that makes a difference even at whatever the personal cost is. And one thing is so clear with Elkanah is, is his love for, for his wife Hannah is constant and steady even though their hopes and dreams of having a family together are shattered. Love that makes a difference is committed to loving them through every disappointment and lost dream. That's, that's number three. Now, the fourth one is similar, but it's also uh, distinct in its own way. Number, number four is this. Love that makes a difference is four, committed to love through emotional dark times, including depression and resentment. Now, Hannah, she's weeping. She's weeping uh, many tears, year after year after year. She's weeping, and she's not eating. She's distraught in her emotional anguish. She describes herself as a woman with a broken heart. That's her own words. She's a woman with a broken heart, she's in just, and she says that she's in deep anguish and resentment. That's her words describing her heart. Deep anguish and resentment. Now, <clears throat> some of you know very personally what's, what it's like to have um, deep internal darkness. Depression. Some of you know very clearly what it's like to be deeply depressed for a long period of time. You, or you know what it's like to have resentment towards people. That, that, that anger and upset, that, that bitterness towards people. Some of you know very personally what it's like to have that kind of dark, poisonous, um, yeah, just darkness on the inside that consumes your heart. But do you know the pain of living with someone who has that. Some of you do, maybe a parent. Uh, know the pain of living with someone consumed with depression, consumed with bitterness, 
consumed with resentment, consumed with any kind of emotional darkness, uh, and you know what it's like because you've seen it to have your home or what's in your home, maybe your marriage or what's in your marriage or your relationship, where you know what that unfair pain that they're bringing because of their darkness and its impact on you and how it hurts you. If one person is battling depression, resentment, or emotional darkness, they, others are impacted. And I know that some of you have been impacted by other people's pain. The love that makes a difference loves when the other person's at their worst. When they're at their worst for years, for years upon years, one that doesn't give up. On, on loving them, although they may have given up on loving you well. You know, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? I mean, anybody can do that. The pagans can do that. The love that makes a difference is one that loves people even in their darkest moments, though they last for years. That's real love. That's what I see with Elkanah year after year after year in his wife's brokenheartedness. That's number four. There's a fifth one, and this is the one that caused me to add this message, actually. This is the one that caused me to add this message. I read, I read this, and I thought about it, and reread it, and thought about it some more, and and it comes down further in the chapter after they have a baby and, and after a few years go by. And, and basically, they wait until Samuel's about three years old and, and then they go in to bring him to, to the uh, tabernacle, to, to Shiloh, where Samuel's going to stay there permanently. But here's the thing that caught me about Samuel, or, or the Samuel story is, Samuel isn't just Hannah's baby. It's also Elkanah's son. It's, it's, it's his only son from his beloved wife, Hannah. If you don't think that's a big deal, reread the Jacob and Joseph story. And even though Jacob has lots of other sons, his first son from his beloved wife, power, like powerful, powerful stuff. And yet, and yet, his wife Hannah made a vow to God and said, we're going to give this baby away. We're going to give this boy away. Now, he could have, biblically, and, and just totally fine, uh, Elkanah could have said, no, no way. We're not going to, that, I break off that vow. That is, that is not going to happen, and that would have been okay. God would not have been upset about that. It, it was okay to do that. And he could have said, Hannah, this isn't just your baby. It's mine as well. This is our baby. You can't just give him away. This is my son with you. There's something incredible here about Elkanah, though, and his love for his wife and his compassion connected to her. His love for her. A love that makes a difference, number five. Committed to love by valuing their desires even at great personal cost. Even at great personal cost. If your criteria for making a decision is um, what's best for me or what do I want or what are my hopes for this situation or, you know, is that love? Is that love? There's something powerful about putting their hopes, their dreams, their desires above your own. 
that's powerful love. How, how, do you make, how do you make decisions? You're going to have to think about this, and you're going to... How are you going to make decisions someday when, when you're with someone and you're in a relationship and, and you have a choice and there is a yes or a no? You're like, oh, we'll just meet in the middle. We'll compromise. Well, sometimes you just can't. There's actually times in your life where you have to come up to the situation. If I had time, I would tell the story about how I was really wanting a convertible. I was a yes, a thousand point times yes. And this person I was married to, I don't want to give any names, uh, she was a no. There's no meeting in the middle. You either have a convertible or you don't have a convertible. Like, you have the, now, how do you make decisions when you are on totally different pages? A thousand percent yes, a thousand percent no. Well, you're going to have to think this through in your future, but sometimes some people say, well, the man has the final say. In most marriages, it seems to me like the woman has the final say. <laughs> In some marriages, it seems like no always wins. Like if someone says no, well, then we won't do it. But is that always the best way to make decisions? I think that's something you need to think about. And you're going to have to work on decision-making together, especially when there's a thousand percent yes a thousand percent no and there is no actual compromise meet in the middle there um anyways that i I don't have time to tell that story but it's out there that and that would be a a a shallow example but here that commitment of love to follow in their desires and if you're like what happened brian in that convertible story well i'm not going to tell you what happened other than i've never owned a convertible in my life um so you can kind of figure it out from there but committed to love by valuing their desires even at great personal cost. Um, is it too far to say that we tend to live in a pretty selfish generation? A generation that would marry someone and then they would be injured or even paralyzed and say, well, I'm not going to stay married to you because you're paralyzed. I'm going to go find someone else because I don't want to live a whole life like that. And we live in a pretty selfish generation. But what I love about Elkanah is committed to love by valuing their desires even at great personal cost. Now there's one more now, And the final one it, it comes to me from my favorite verse In this whole story this, In fact this is probably my favorite verse In the whole book of, of 1 Samuel It might even be on the trajectory To becoming my favorite verse In the Old Testament This is, this is an, an amazing verse It resonates with my heart And I suppose that um, if, if you're married It would probably resonate with your own as well And it's at the end of verse 8 In 1 Samuel chapter 1 And Elkanah says to his wife These powerful words Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Am I not better to you than ten sons? I mean look woman Look at me. Am I not more amazing than if you had even 10 sons? I mean, look at these guns. You know, like, am I not more amazing than what 10 sons could could be with his goodness? Um, I mean, I get it. I mean, I don't know how Kelly ever has a bad day. Come on. Come on, right? Uh, Elkanah lived with... His, with a wife who had been had broken hearted, was broken hearted in anguish, tormented for years. She isn't able to give him anything of what that society would have would have wanted—a family line, a dynasty, uh, uh, someone to for their inheritance to pass to. 
Their hopes of having children and grandchildren are gone. You have life disappointment. You have heart darkness issues. She's, she's, she's got so much darkness in her heart. And with, but with all that Hannah cannot do, and with all the happiness that she does not have, the thing I see about Elkanah that I love is this. He loves her just the way she is. She can't do this. She can't do that. She has this shortcoming. She's depressed, discouraged. That man loves her just the way she is. Love that makes a difference is committed to love just as they really are. Just as they really are. You know what, family, the same is true for you. I tell you week after week that God loves you. And, and what I mean by that is that God, yeah, he sees your imperfect. He sees your fails. He sees the mistakes. He sees where you're not measuring up. He sees why you might feel, feel doubtful that God would love you based on what you had done or your, your behavior. But what, what I want to continue to remind you of is the great truth about God's love for you is whatever the mistakes, God loves you just as you are today, right now. I'm sure he'd love it if there was more joy in your life and more holiness in your life and godliness in your life, but, but also he loves you right now, just as you are today in, in your darkness, if you're in that space. In your mistakes, he loves you just as you are. Paul writes this same sort of idea by saying, wow, we were still sinners, Christ died for us. <clears throat> Friends, we're in a series entitled Make a Difference. Make a difference, uh, learning to follow God well. Following God well is following his example of loving people well. In marriage, in friendships, in, in acquaintances, in family situations, even, even in enemy situations, people who have hurt you. One of the ways we make a difference is learning to love people in the imperfect way that they are. Being patient. Being kind. Keeping no record of wrong. Not being selfish. It's difficult to love well, but it's, it's also uh, life-changing. And if you're able to love someone well, like say, let's say you're able to love your spouse well through every challenging season of life, people will see it. And if you have kids, they'll see it. Other people will see it. Um, one, one great example of loving people well can have a multi-generational impact on way more people than you would ever guess. How Kelly's grandparents loved each other through their difficult times impacted me. I wasn't even raised in that family. My, my, my parents are divorced. I don't have that as, a, as an example, but I can look at my mentor, and I can look at my mentor's marriage relationship and how he's loved her throughout all the challenges of their life. He's been my mentor for like 20, uh, four, uh, 24 years, I guess. Um, you know, I, and I can see how he's loved his wife, and that has an impact on me. I'm not in his family. Love done well can have an impact far beyond what you could ever imagine. And as you follow God well, you're going to discover, by loving well, you're going to discover that you've made a bigger difference for God than you ever would have imagined. You just thought, 
I was just being, I was just loving this person in their darkness. Oh, it can change the world. It can change the world. Three challenges for today. Number one, if you're in a relationship, which one of you is better at loving the other and why? Now, that is a very dangerous question to act and, or ask and potentially misapply. My hope is, is that you're worse at it than they are and, and you will rise to another level. If, if you are better, then I wouldn't start the conversation saying, hey, let's talk about which one of us is better at loving the other. Uh, that's not going to go well. And if, you, and if you realize that you're better at loving another person, um, don't allow bitterness to get in there. Like it's, I get it. That's a dangerous question, but, but it's a self-assessment self question. How am I doing at loving the people in my lives well? Secondly, identify who you look up to as an example of someone who loves well. For me, you know, I was like my mentor or whatever. Thirdly, do you have a close friendship that's suffering at the moment? What would a bit of grace, patience, and kindness look like applied to that less-than-perfect situation? 